Welcome to the 246th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farms, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Alex Romano, organizer on the Soil Health Team. A functioning ecosystem isn't complete without animals to help close the nutrient loop. One key way farmers are building soil organic matter, cycling nutrients, and adding economic value to their farmland is by integrating ruminant livestock, beef cattle, dairy cattle, sheep, and goats, into a well-managed grazing system. Simply turning animals out onto open pastures and allowing them to roam creates its own problems. Farmers raising livestock as a soil and profit-building tool are using managed rotational grazing of livestock. A managed rotational grazing system generally includes being goal-oriented and flexible, using higher stock densities and moving livestock more frequently to graze and distribute fertility across the landscape evenly, relying on temporary fencing technology for frequent movement and increasing rest periods to allow for plant root system recovery. Managed rotationally grazed systems can go beyond sustainability. They can help to regenerate soil by sequestering carbon, supercharging biological activity, and building soil structure. Many farmers are using managed rotational grazing to increase productivity of perennial pastures and allow for multiple uses of annual cropland through grazing of cover crops and crop residue. Zach Knutson owns and operates Knutson's Shorthorns, just outside of Zumbrota, Minnesota, where he rotationally grazes registered shorthorns and direct markets beef. This fall, I had a chance to sit down with Zach to hear about his recent experiences planting parcels of highly erodible soil to a perennial pasture mix to help expand his grazing land base while sequestering carbon and improving soil health. He also shared lessons learned from his first year of daily rotations. So I rotationally graze 14 brood cows of registered shorthorns. We have about 27 acres of pasture right now with plans to expand to a little over 50 next year and doubling cow numbers. Uh, we added some Katahdin hair sheep this fall that we plan to rotationally graze along with the cattle in the coming years and hopefully expand that business in the future as well. How long have you been farming? I started raising beef cattle in 2011, uh, but I grew up on a dairy farm and was on the farm my whole life. We had milked 60 to 75 dairy cows, depending on the year, and we had a robotic milker for the last 10 years. Uh, what enterprises do you run currently on your farm? Currently, we have a cow-calf operation where we produce seed stock and any cattle that aren't breeding quality will be fed out on a grain-fed diet and then we direct market that beef directly to the consumers. We're adding in hair sheep mostly for uh, commercial purposes, for marketing the meat, not so much the breeding stock because the cattle keep us busy enough with that side of it. <laughs> 
Um, and when you, I know you got an off-farm job. What do you do when you're not farming? I'm a bank examiner for the farm credit system. So I review loan accounts. I have led some compliance exams, mostly uh, looking into the finance procedures, making sure that the lenders are working with the borrowers to the best of their ability, and making sure that they're following safe lending practices to ensure sound and reliable credit to farmers in the good times and the bad times. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about some of the goals that you have um, with grazing on your farm. So my primary goal is in the next five years or so, I'd like to convert the 100 acres of row crop land all into diverse perennial pastures. I'd like to expand the cow herd up to about 75 breeding cows and the hair sheep up to probably 100, just guesstimating what the carrying capacity is as the sheep are new to us. Um, we rotated daily in 2020 with the quarantine and not being around. I'd like to continue doing that as long as I can. Sometimes my job will take me on the road for a few days, generally Monday through Friday travel. So we'll adjust management accordingly, but doing our best to rotate as frequently as we can because we saw really big benefits from that this year. Can you give me some examples of some of those benefits you saw from moving the cattle more frequently? Uh, my favorite was probably seeing the cattle graze thistles and giant ragweed. Um, never thought I'd see cattle eating those, but I have pictures to prove it because I had to make sure Dad believed it. Um, we saw a lot healthier pastures as a result. The grass, we had so much more grass than we have in any similar years. Uh, this year was drier than last year by a long shot. And I, while we didn't measure, you know, total forage production or do any hard measurements, just based on how many cattle we were able to run and for the number of days that we were grazing, I think we actually harvested more forage matter this year than we did last year, even without all the rain that we had last year. So it sounds like um, you increased your forage production or your forage potential by just moving those cattle a little bit more frequently and extending those rest periods. Yeah, yeah, the rest periods was huge. Um, it, the pasture that we seeded down took a little bit longer to establish than I had expected with my first time doing it. So our rest periods at the start of the season were about 14 to 17 days. And once we had that new pasture working with us, we got our rest periods up to 34 days. And I would say the forage production, how much grass was there when we returned after 34 days was more than double what was there after the 17 days. So you know, marginal return. We gave it an extra 17 days, but we got more than the first 17 days worth of growth. So there was big benefits to 
extending those rest periods. And during periods of dry weather, we would in, like incorporate a couple days of bale feeding in the barnyard just to try and give ourselves more rest time and hopefully get a little bit closer to the next rain shot uh, before we grazed everything down too far. You mentioned a new pasture this year. Can you tell me a little bit more about when it, what in, went into that? Yeah, so we converted six or seven acres of row crops that was corn last year into a diverse pasture mix this year, primarily cool season grasses. The mixture contained around 13 different species, so I won't try to name them all off the top of my head. I know there was some brome grasses, orchard grasses, a few different types of clover, a little bit of fescue, and then alongside those fields, we also were grazing some waterway areas that had been seeded down for erosion control as the row crops were grown around them. And those particular fields hadn't really been made use of in a long time, but that was part of the decision-making process to convert some of the fields to pasture. While we converted six acres or so to new pasture, in total we gained almost 10 acres of total grazing land because we were able to make use of the grasses that typically were just left as is. Sounds like livestock are allowing you to be a little more flexible on the farm. Um, is that important to you and, and why? Yeah, uh, flexibility is huge. Being able to make use of all the resources on the farm rather than getting too focused on you know row crops or too focused on just livestock. Um, I believe in making use of as much of the ground as we can while also preserving the soil health there. Um, converting that field, we've been doing soil tests out in the fields for a number of years. And while I don't have any of the numbers in front of me, Dad said that as he was sticking the shovel into the soil, there was a notable difference in the new pasture compared to the bean field and even the old pasture that hadn't been rotationally grazed for quite some time. Mm. It used to be set stock by switching this year. It really improved the soil. It was just a lot lighter, easier to get the shovel into worms. I asked dad if there were worms and he said, yeah, that seemed weird. <laughs> he said, I had to pull those out before we could actually do the soil test. And I said, well, at least they were there to pull them out. Um, the cat, the different pastures also gave me a lot of flexibility that, you know, if I needed to go away for a weekend for, you know, a wedding, a funeral, mental health purposes, you know, we were able to adjust the pastures and the paddock sizes to fit it. While you, we did give up some things by, you know, giving them a four-day area instead of a single day rotations at the end of the day it's about finding that work-life balance and enjoying what you do because you know you 
you could try to maximize the potential every single day, but burnout is real. And that's one of the reasons that flexibility is really important to me. Would you say you're enjoying what you're doing? Definitely. Um, Cattle has always been a big passion of mine. When I was 11, I told my dad, I love cows. I just don't like to milk them. And that was kind of how the whole beef cattle thing started. Uh, Took a few years before I realized that, you know, an 11-year-old kid isn't really going to get a loan from the bank to go buy those cows. But saved up and got started and I'm really optimistic about what the future holds as we expand and diversify the operation and try to improve the soil health and preserve the soil that's out here because this farm has a lot of hills and you know being able to enjoy that while we do it is going to be really big. How does your off-farm job as a bank examiner um, influence the way that you see farm profitability um, or the viability of your farm? One of the big things has been, you know, learning from financial statements of a wide variety of farmers and just getting that exposure to seeing you know, the average return on assets on beef cattle is notoriously low. Uh, it really depends on your area and your farming practices. But in my unprofessional opinion, I I would say that 2% is a really common return on assets. So when you're making an investment on the farm and considering whether or not you want to buy that piece of machinery and you know whether you want to make hay or buy hay it's really considering where do you put your capital investments to try and maximize that return on assets and gives a different perspective on lend borrowing money Mm. you know borrowing money can definitely be a a good tool Uh, there are certain circumstances where it's it definitely pencils out in certain circumstances where it doesn't pencil out. Um, to me, a, there's a lot of thought that goes into what enterprises I want to take on in, my, in the whole diversity of the operation and which ones I don't. I personally lean towards having the minimal amount of machinery around that you need to get the job done, uh, particularly when it comes to mechanically harvesting forage. I know there's a lot of people around that do that, and it can certainly be economically viable, but I prefer to let the cattle do the majority of the harvesting, and I'm working on figuring out how we can extend the availability of forages that the cattle can harvest throughout the year so that we can just kind of avoid needing that machinery and whatever hay that we do bring in I look at it as bringing in nutrition or soil nutrition Um, the N, P, and the K I'm basically getting the nutrition 
from someone else's land and I'm getting to put it onto my land. And looking at a hay haymaking enterprise, if you compare opportunity cost of, you know, letting the cattle harvest it versus using machinery, you may be able to harvest off more pounds with the machinery, but is it really returning more than that 2% return on assets? Mm for the amount of machinery and equipment that goes into it, or if you have it custom done. Um, I think if you look at what the cattle are able to harvest when you've already got the investment into the land, you've already got the investment into the cattle, letting them do the harvesting instead of a machine, I think that has a really big influence on changing that return on assets value to where you know, to me, in my operation, I don't think it makes sense to borrow money to buy equipment that can make hay, uh, especially when I'm just getting started. You know, I have access to certain equipment from my dad's farming enterprise, but starting out, there's a lot of consideration that I've learned from my job of comparing What's the return on your investment going into it? And if you're borrowing money, is that borrowed money working for you or are you working for the entity that you borrowed it from? Hmm. So again, it sounds like that flexibility and a bit of diversification can allow you to really farm the way that you wanna farm, um, you know, to meet your goals. Um, and you're using livestock to do that. That's really interesting. Um, so one last question. Is there something you'd like to experiment with or multiple things in the future that gets you really excited? One, part, one thing that I tried this year was at home, we had a piece of ground that when our shed roof collapsed the previous winter, some tin got laid out on the soil and it sat there for a full summer through the winter and it was just a bunch of dead grass out there. So I planted some pepper plants into it just to see what would happen because personally I don't like weeding gardens. It's a lot of labor, it takes all the fun out of it. I'd much rather just walk out there, pick the crop, and call it good. Um, going back to the marginal cost, if you weed it, you know, some people would argue you get a better crop, you, get, you make more use of it. You know, there's a reason people went to weeding. But if you look at the value of your time, you know, are those, is the marginal return equal to marginal cost? So I want to kind of experiment in the future when we have these sacrifice paddocks with our cattle and the spring mud, you know, these areas that really get kind of beat up by the cattle. Could we apply the same principles there of planting summer annual vegetable crops in that ground where in the heat of the summer, they're going to be booming and thriving and giving you 
you know, food for your family, potentially crops to sell at a farmer's market because the cool season grasses didn't really seem to compete with those pepper plants that we put in there. They grew up and they covered the soil around the pepper plants, but you know, when we got into July and August, the grass really stopped growing as we see in our pastures, that summer slump, and that was when the pepper plants really took off. So I'm considering, and something I'd like to try, is copying that in our sacrifice paddocks, where we can plant these higher value summer annual plants, peppers, tomatoes, things of that nature, see if we can't get an extra source of revenue off that ground while also giving it an opportunity to rest and reset. Because right now, you know, the grass that's in that area that hasn't been touched all summer is probably knee high. There's a lot of seeds and it's really had a good opportunity to reseed itself. And I'm gonna be curious to see how that patch of lawn compares to the rest of it next summer. Maybe there'll be a noticeable difference, but more importantly, maybe you won't notice that that area was completely barren the spring before. You know, sometimes not noticing anything can be a positive. Uh, That was one thing I learned in the undergrad research. I did a thesis on early weaning cattle and I talked to the advisor. I said, we're not really seeing any results. Nothing's different. And I said, sometimes that can be as valuable as finding a difference because you know that you can do this and it's not going to set you backwards. So you could make profit and not go backwards. Is there anything I didn't ask that you'd like to have said about grazing, about your approach to farming, um, about what you're looking forward to in the future? Anything? Can I do a shout out for Kiss the Ground? (laughs) Go for it. I I watched Kiss the Ground on Netflix, and I think that's going to be an important film to get out to the general public, uh, as well as farming communities, to just kind of show the potential of regenerative grazing, managing for the soils, putting the carbon back into the soil and pulling it out of the atmosphere, and, you know, with proper rotational grazing and certain management practices you can almost look at ourselves we can almost look at ourselves as we are farming the emissions of the general public and turning that into not only a sustainable protein product but a regenerative protein product that can really make a big difference to the rising co2 levels For more on ways to build soil health profitably utilizing livestock, see landstewardshipproject.org slash LSP Soil Builders and click on the Grazing and Soil Health link. 
There you will find more podcasts as well as videos, fact sheets, articles, blogs, and details on upcoming workshops and events. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact me, Alex Romano, at aromano at landstewardshipproject.org. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.